This is the flight director beginning launch status check. CLCDR checking all stations are manned and systems are ready. Give me a go, no go. Talker? Roger, Houston. FSC? That is a go. Capcom? Oh, Navigation? Uh, navigation? Oh, uh, uh... Don't, don't worry about guidance, we're just gonna... Wait, 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 what, 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 Houston? What, what, what? Welcome back to Space Castle. It is your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. It is, what are we calling this? Season 2? Starlog Series 2? We're back. It's a brand new fucking new year. It's Space Castle 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yes, sir. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is DT. I'm Alex. And I'm Seth. And today we thought we might just jump right fucking into it. We're going to talk about bad movies that we would love to remake if we could and why we would remake them. Let's not beat around the bush, gentlemen. Who's got one? I've got a couple. Um, yeah? Do one. What's what's your first oh, one? Man, my, <laughs> my first one's a doozy, and it's so bad because uh, most people don't like to acknowledge that it exists. Is it The Last Jedi? No. Uh, <laughs> you're about to get kicked off of this podcast, man. <laughs> it's the work of one director, M. Night Shyamalan, Avatar The Last Airbender. Single-handedly the worst film made in the last 30 years. It's probably... I think it's the worst movie I've ever seen in theaters, and I've seen some really terrible, terrible movies, ones that I didn't finish and walked out of. It was so bad that I watched the entirety of the film hoping, beyond hope, that there'd be one like five-minute segment that would save it. There wasn't. There was not. I remember being so hyped going into that theater and being like, probably the most disappointed I've ever been in my life walking out. It's one of those ones where I went with a group of people that were all huge fans like I was. Same. Yeah. People were like shaving uh, arrows into their hair, <laughs> uh, like dressing up, cosplaying on their way to the theater. I watched the entirety of the series beforehand in preparation and just, I was fully on, on board. And then about two minutes in, Jackson Rathbun is like, Ong! <laughs> Ong. And I was broken for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Wait, who's Ong? Exactly. Uh, I think it was an, an attempt uh, that Shamalan had kind of made the decision that they would try to make the pronunciation of the familiar and loved names of these characters completely different, just in an effort to make them sound more, uh, I guess, legitimate in terms of the like cultural aspect. And then at the same time, he whitewashed the entire cast, didn't he? What the fuck? Exactly. And at the same time, <laughs> representationally, it was very flawed. Um, uh, many people know that that there is a new live action series coming out. And uh, unfortunately, Kanyetsko and DiMartino, the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender, have left that production. They originally signed on early on and they've since left and decided to create their own Avatar studios and make their own IP separately. But the sale that was made is still going on, um, still. It, for me, that's the big doozy. If, if I could erase a movie in my brain and have it remade with a different director, perhaps. I think the technology was there. They, it definitely was rushed. But the, the bending is one of the things I couldn't get over because it, it took like a full two minutes of forms to lift a tiny little rock. Some things that I've seen recently in even just TV series give me hope that the special effects are there easier to replicate now and i think obviously the new creators of the show will understand the gravity of what they're doing now <laughs> fortunately for them there's really no place to go but up <laughs> uh, but the expectations are very high we'll see netflix does not have a really good track record of adapting ips while excluding the original creators cowboy bebop was sorry sudden but inevitable rebop our friends in another podcast Cowboy Bebop remake on Netflix was a fucking abomination. It's not good. Not even as like an Elseworlds type different sort of take on Bebop. It is just subjectively bad filmmaking. But hopefully they do better with the uh, the Avatar adaptation series. We'll see. I don't know. I think they have a better potential for the Avatar series because they're more aware of how important it is to get it right. Like Bebop, they needed to, right? But it wasn't like... 
the entire internet needed them to like the the necessity to get avatar correct is way more common knowledge i agree avatar is way more in sort of the pop culture lexicon than bebop is it's a little less obscure more mainstream so yeah if they fuck this up they're gonna have a real problem on their hands (laughs) i've got some honorable mentions but let's hear from you guys seth you want to go next no, nah, dude, I want your pick because I know I have a feeling what it is and I want to get it out of the way. <laughs> probably, but mine's going to go on for probably a little bit. Uh, it's the Phantom Menace. I mean, I would like to redo the entire Star Wars prequel trilogy in its entirety, but I think if I had to pick one specifically, it would be the Phantom Menace because the Phantom Menace would inevitably inform the remakes of the following two prequels. I would start right from the bare bones fucking backbone of this movie. There would be no eight-year-old Anakin. It would be already somewhat grown Anakin. It wouldn't be about his rise to the ranks of the Jedi. It wouldn't be about any of that shit. It would be about Anakin being this actual paragon, actual good, relatable person in The Phantom Menace who's still young, still being trained by Obi-Wan, and his inevitable tragic downfall. And I would rewrite fucking everything. Like, it wouldn't even necessarily be Padme who is his downfall. I would change how the Jedi are perceived because... When I was growing up, my memories of what I thought the Jedi could and should be were more like roaming, like like samurai, like not monastic, like priests who are also like inevitably like like cops. They were essentially space cops and they were a bunch of fucking dicks. I always imagined the Jedi Knights as being like the Knights of the Round Table or as like samurai who were loosely unified and were just sort of like Batman, not really vigilantes, but people that you can count on to show up and take care of really serious problems without informing galactic politics and shit like that. The fact that they made Jedi political and essentially made them cops strips away any of their sort of relatability and it makes them look like dickheads. Like Anakin's downfall is no longer, no longer tragic because he wasn't the best of this really honorable and altruistic order. He was this kid who was essentially kicked around by a bunch of old people his entire life, and he finally just fucking snapped. It doesn't work. It doesn't make Anakin heroic. It doesn't make the Jedi look great. It makes Yoda and Obi-Wan look like complete fucking dickheads in the original trilogy, and I hate it. So, yeah. You're not just saying you don't want a corrupt Jedi Council. You don't want a Jedi Council. A Jedi Council would be fine. Like, you need leaders for such an order. Like, you need some sort of organization, but the fact that they were so, like living in a castle high above the people on the capital planet and they're involved directly in politics and they're essentially like like beat cops like going around and like assassinating people it just doesn't fucking work it's especially in, in today's social political climate like it's it's not relatable at all the jedi should have been just altruistic like paragons of of goodness and the, and anakin should have been the best of them and his downfall should have been tragic because they all look to him especially obi-wan obi-wan talks about him with such reverence and Anakin's downfall and his, his turn to the dark side in the prequels is not only not tragic, it's really fucking stilted and sudden, and it's really hard to relate to it. It just doesn't work at all for me. I think corruptibility of political factions is very relatable. <laughs> You're saying they should have no senatorial influence. They shouldn't have a say in the politics. They're a government entity. They're Praetorians, essentially. They're, they're protecting Caesar, and they shouldn't be. They should be out there for the common good of the people instead of actually being a government entity. They're, they're cops. Like there's lines, multiple lines in the prequels, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. But every time there's a fucking conflict going on, the first thing they do is send a couple of Jedis to settle it. Like that, that shouldn't be how it is. A trade dispute. Like there's a blockade over Naboo where the, the Trade Federation is, is being set up to block Naboo in order to create sympathy in the Senate so Palpatine can rise to power. Why would you send two armed Jedi knights to take care of an economical issue, like a trade dispute? Well, they're meant to be arbiters, right? They're, it's, it's arbitration. But they shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the Jedi doing that. I think the, it plays. I think it plays, yeah. I think that's exactly who should have been. They're, they're supposed to be non-involved third parties who can arbitrate disputes like that. That's the whole point. That's like part of their peacekeeping in the, in the galaxy. It's balance, because that's the thing with, right? It's balance. It's, they're the mediators. I do understand what you're saying, though. And what threw me off in the prequels was... This whole concept of the Jedi who are protective of the uh, political factions and they're they're so wrapped up into it, but then all we get is there is a disturbance in the Force and not I, we recognize that this person we're protecting and this senator is one of the most corrupt and evil Force users that has graced this universe, and and these Jedi Masters haven't been able to identify that. There's some Star Wars nerds out there listening to this that are like, well, Alex, obviously. 
it was because of Palpatine was suppressing his force abilities and yeah, it, what well, yeah, whatever. But hard to see the dark side is and all such nonsense that Lucas had to throw in there to justify the story he wanted to tell, and that's bad storytelling. If you have to invent devices to justify the story you're telling, you're doing it wrong. What do you think world building is? <laughs> well, that's world building, but what you're doing is you're, you've already established rules and you're going back and you're rewriting those rules to suit the story you want to tell because you've got point A and point B and you haven't figured out the midway point between that. So you're making it up as you go and you're inevitably going to end up contradicting yourself or just making loopholes or just making just weak plot points as a result. There was no outline for the prequels. There's no outline for the sequel trilogy either. And there was a loose outline for the original trilogy. But what happened was, instead of Lucas trying to do all this shit himself, or Disney just trying to just throw shit at the wall and see whatever stuck, Lucas, Film, and Fox were smart enough to hire really good writers and really good directors to produce like Empire Strikes Back, which is the linchpin of the probably the entire saga. And to build out and flesh out the world smartly and succinctly, and showing us instead of telling us. The prequels are nothing but telling us, and I hate it. It's it's just bad storytelling and bad filmmaking, and I get why Lucas wanted to do it himself, but he should have come up with something of an outline and passed it off to other filmmakers like he did with the original trilogy. I will say on that note that it, that's why people like The Mandalorian better. Like Big-time big Star Wars fans, they generally like The Mandalorian season one, if not season two as well, uh, because it's more show and less tell. Like if I when I think about the prequel trilogies, I think about big set pieces and then a lot of talking, and yeah, and then if you contrast that with Mandalorian, it, there are a lot of scenes where you're just seeing things, you don't really know what's going on, and you're following Mando through, you know, his trials and tribulations, and it's and people say it feels more like Star Wars what they remember, at least that's that's the the feedback that I've received. I totally agree with that. Season one of Mandalorian, especially, it's it's serialized storytelling in a cohesive overall arcing story. It's great. It, it, it gets a little more stilted with season two because it's essentially Dave Filoni trying to make Mandalorian like a live action sequel to the Rebel series, which is fine for some people. I don't really dig on it, but that's fine. But season one of the Mandalorian, where it was just John Favreau, who we know is a very good storyteller. He, Mm-hmm. He's essentially the fucking godfather of the entire MCU. Like he set the tone for everything with the first Iron Man movie. He knows what he's doing and he knows Star Wars and he knows technical filmmaking using, you know, the latest and greatest in technology. He was a great sort of shepherd for the, the Mandalorian to kick off. Absolutely. And that's what the Star Wars mainstream movies desperately need is somebody like a John Favreau or a Kevin Feige or Russo brothers. They need somebody to guide this shit because there is no guidance. Lucas himself is not a good leader. <laughs> he's just not. I mean, he's he's a good businessman. He's a good idea man. He's not great at execution. I think in reality, DT just wants more pod racing with better special effects. <laughs> <laughs> I think DT should should do a script doctor. He should make one. Give me a fanfic, dude. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Uh, it'd be fruitless. I could put it out there in the internet and people could maybe read it and like it, but it, I, nobody's ever going to remake the prequel trilogy is what I'm saying. And that's why we're doing this subject just because we know this is never going to happen, but we would very much like it to happen. I really, really want really good Star Wars prequels where there's a compelling story about Anakin's rise and downfall that's actually relatable and interesting and tragic because yeah. the prequels just, did, they're not cohesive. They're they're stilted and they're awkward and Anakin's entire downfall happens in one scene without any actual logical buildup, and it's wildly frustrating. So, so Seth, if you're telling Anakin's story, which is, you know, that's what the prequels are supposed to be about, like, what do you start it with Anakin as a teenager? Is he a Padawan? Do you, do we flash back to him as a child? No, I would start it where they st- where they started it in the prequels, finding him on Tatooine as a slave. I think that's a really interesting story the perfect bloodline thing is no good and midichlorians god him being a slave on tatooine is is a great starting point and i think that there's a couple of gems in the story like i would i would rework the story i wouldn't start from scratch like i really like him him being a pod racer shows that he's not a fucking idiot uh and him being a pod racer also shows that he has a very close if unconscious day-to-day interaction with the force 
So that's a really good and subtle and clever way to show that he's like got serious Jedi material. And if they kind of just had, you know, the escape and, and Qui-Gon finding this boy and be like, wow, this you're a pod racer? Like, you must be pretty close with the Force. Like, blah, blah, blah. They could have... They took a, a, a left turn when they should have took taken a right turn. They zigged, zigged when they, they should, should have zagged. zagged. <laughs> uh, and there's, there, there's a lot of good bones in the prequel trilogy that I think could make a really good and compelling story. They just kind of... They skipped over the things they shouldn't have, and they fleshed out the things that they should have skipped. I agree with you that there are good bones there uh, in terms of some character things, but then we get a lot of really slow scenes when that really shouldn't have happened. You need to break up the the, the tension there, but pace, pacing in the in the prequels to me is is very poor. Yeah, what I did enjoy was the the Jedi perspective. The like, you have Anakin and Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and then you have Anakin and Obi Wan, and then you have just Anakin, kind of. In a way. So it's kind of, it mirrors the typical knight sort of page squire knight thing. Sure. And I I dig that as a storytelling mechanic over the course of the prequels. And it's showing the progression inherently of Anakin throughout the process of becoming like a Jedi master. And that is really interesting to me. I get that the prequels needed to be more political because that's where the Jedi were at the time. Like, But the problem is they didn't show it well. They droned on about it instead of being clever about it. If they had spent more time and, and shown the Jedi have become politicians instead of peacekeepers, uh, they've become soldiers instead of peacekeepers. Like if they had shown that in a more clever and succinct way, it wouldn't have been such a tragedy in, in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, the one thing Lucas did correctly, and I think it's probably the thing he was most interested in with the prequels, was the politics of Palpatine coming into power. Mm -hmm. It's actually really clever that everything started out with a trade dispute, which led into you know unrest and and like dissension in the Senate, which allowed for the vote of no confidence in Valorum, which allowed Palpatine to get elected, and then he orchestrates his own war to seize emergency powers. Mm -hmm. We almost fucking saw that type of shit in the real world very recently. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a very real threat. And that was clever and interesting. But we didn't need to drone on about trade disputes and trade routes and taxation and so much stuff for so long. Mm -hmm. It should have been the backdrop more than the focus because the focus should have always been Anakin. And Palpatine and his rise to power is so much better written and so much more compelling then the hero, essentially the hero of the entire sagas, rise to power and and fall from grace. It's a weird thing. Like it's like you said, there are good ideas in the prequels. And like I said, George Lucas is an amazing idea guy, but he should have passed those ideas off to actual fucking writers who could have made a really compelling and interesting and tragic and profound story out of those ideas. And he didn't, because he's an egomaniac. We love him. But he's a fucking egomaniac. I don't think he's an egomaniac. Oh, he totally is. He's a fucking egomaniac. I was going back and forth, not to make this a Star Wars episode, I was going back through the scripts of um, Return of the Jedi. And the writing is, it's a product of its time. I, I don't think that it's, I think the writing in the prequels was as good as the writing in the original Tridge, but because the original trilogy was in the fucking 70s and 80s, that stilted, terrible writing fit better and where it didn't fit in the 2000s, which is why we always say like, oh, this is the the prequel trilogy had terrible writing. It's like, no, it had the same writing as the original trilogy. It just didn't fit for the movies that were being made. It's a lot of uh, my my big knocks on the prequels tend to come around when you think about the like talking heads in hallways. Hmm. Um, that's what bothers me the most about it, because people talk about the politics and that doesn't bother me. I'll read lots of sci-fi and fantasy where the the politics are interesting, and it's because they're they're necessary bits, and then you come back to your main characters who are doing the active participation, like Dune. Sure, yeah, Dune is a great example of that. There are plenty of great examples, but I I think where where we we get the downfall is that you see this like cloaked, shadowy, mysterious figure early on in this trade dispute um, with the viceroys at right off the bat, right in Phantom Menace. It's been a while, so uh, I can't remember exactly, but you get, yeah, you get the dark shadowy Palpatine um, and then it would be so much better to kind of get that revealed as a twist later on. And they didn't land the twist because we spend so much time with, with Senator Palpatine and we spend so much time with these other senators and the, 
taxation shit that you were talking about dt uh and it and it's all in these like long cool looking spacey hallways but we don't get we don't get the the active part of that we get the very passive part Yes, it's very, very passive storytelling, especially in The Phantom Menace. I completely agree. The Phantom Menace essentially has no purpose other than Palpatine starting up his machinations to eventually take over the galaxy and then the introduction of Anakin. And to me, it's more compelling and more interesting if you get just straight to Anakin and his rise to power as opposed to being an eight-year-old. Like, there's nothing there that's compelling for Anakin's story. I get the fact that he was a slave. But he had kind of a really fucking dope life as a slave where he was like building his own hot rod and like building his own robots and had a bunch of friends and shit. Like he wasn't being abused or oppressed. But the the concept of Anakin going from being a hard luck slave on a backwater planet to being convinced that he's again being a slave to the Jedi and then tragically thinking he's getting away from that and going to Palpatine and becoming a slave again. That is a really fucking good idea, but it's not executed at all because... I would fucking love Anakin Skywalker's fucking childhood. It was dope as shit. I mean, yeah, he had to do some hard labor, but was he a miserable kid? He was super fucking happy. The The problem is his mom was shielding him entirely from that. She was taking all of the abuse and all of the responsibilities so that he would have a better childhood. We don't get any of that, though. She seems like she's pretty happy, too. They got a dope fucking apartment on Tatooine, and they're clothed and happy, and they've got a nice, like kitchen table and they've got enough food to serve a bunch of fucking guests who show up out of nowhere like she's not being beaten or abused or screamed at it's not tragic it's not there's there's nothing in anakin's childhood that should be deeply rooted that should like fuel his downfall or his his anger later on like he's got a great fucking childhood the the slave is just a title at that point he's they're more like indentured servants i definitely disagree okay We, we we saw a very different phantom menace <laughs> we need to watch it again because i think I, I think i'm right here where anakin's childhood is great he's building a he's building his own fucking car in his backyard seth we haven't heard from you yet what's yours here we go <laughs> top that shit <laughs> mine will be less controversial i suspect maybe not it is going to be the sequel to pacific rim pacific rim uprising oh Okay, all right. Because I'm a huge Pacific Rim fan. I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. Same, same. I really, really loved Pacific Rim. I was very excited about the second movie, but they just, they dropped the ball in so many places. It was, they Americanized it. They made it a corporate American bullshit sequel movie, and it sucked. It it was like a Transformers movie, and they, they completely did the the first one dirty by making that sequel and if i were to remake it i would lean heavier into the absolute struggle that is humanity during the time like we we see a lot of that in the first movie humanity's having a really fucking rough go of things um and they're starting to turn the tide but all of our jaegers are getting fucking ruined there's they're down to like what two by the end of the film and that that sets up an absolutely fantastic struggle to get back to a baseline for the second film. And they were basically like, uh, nah, the thing worked okay and we just somehow found more resources and somehow found better technology somewhere and banded together even more than before and now we're killing them for sport. <laughs> it just didn't play. It didn't work. It, yeah, I agree. It, the first movie was so gritty and like it showed such a a realistic view of this sort of situation surprisingly and the second one just fucked that all up so i would remake that completely i would fucking get del toro back in the game get him to to do the sequel again because if i remember it he was signed on initially and left the project for creative disputes he does that a lot yeah big surprise they want to change a lot of his shit and he may he wants to make weird movies and that's okay good for him i think that's fine I'm I'm not upset about that. Same same. Got to follow like if you want if you have a vision for a thing you got to follow it, you know. Um so I would I would try to get him back on and be like, "Hey, do the movie you wanted to do in the first place. Like it's going to be grittier, it's going to be hard, it's going to be like kind of sad, but still funny. Like even fucking Charlie Day in the first movie was a, a goddamn masterstroke, dude. It was so f- perfect comic relief. It was great. First movie was great. Second movie sucked. I would remake the second movie to be more like the first one. I am 100% on board with that. Uh, Pacific Rim went from being Tokyo Drift to Fast and Furious 8 
at the drop of a hat. Like it started out <laughs> yeah. like really dope, succinct storytelling and good action scenes and really good characters you love to just being loud, obnoxious fucking nonsense just for the sake of it. They lost Del Toro as the director and the writer. Uh, I think John Boyega became a producer and he's way too young to have produced uh, a big, like expensive movie like that. I did really like him in that movie. To be fair, sure, sure, but he's a great actor. He's super charismatic. He's the best thing about the 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 sequel trilogy for Star Wars as well. They did him dirty in the sequels. They gave him fucking nothing to do, but he is super goddamn charming and really compelling. As I would think, the main character in the Force Awakens, he's great. But yeah, I I love Pacific Rim. I I still love it. I yeah. love all the fucking weirdness. Even the Ron Perlman Charlie Day stuff gets a little out there, a little too strange for me. But I get it because. That's how the world would go to shit if everything was like kaijus and giant robots. It would just get fucking weird. And the action's great. And the action in the sequel is very airy and loose. And the gravity doesn't feel right. And nothing feels grounded. There's no gravity to it. Yeah, there's no gravity to the action in the sequel. Need stakes for a movie like that. Well, not just that, but even in in the like physical movements, like the robots are suddenly super light and easy to maneuver, and like none of it makes sense. The physics don't work. There's no stakes in the the story. Like the second one sucked. Have you seen uh, Pacific Rim: The Black on Netflix? No. So just forget the second movie ever existed and just watch Pacific Rim: The Black. It's a it's a series by the same people who made that anime Godzilla series on Netflix, which is also very, very good. Okay. Uh, it's it's much more in line with what you're looking for as far as how far humanity has sank and how much further they have to climb out of that hole because of what happened in the first movie. It actually talks about like the ramifications of the war, how it's affecting families, how it's affecting people, Man. and just how to survive in this world that's been ravaged, not just by kaiju, but by the giant fucking robot monstrosities we created to fight them. Jeez. So that makes uh, Pacific Rim, The Matrix, and Riddick that all get saved by anime. Right? Got it. Check. <laughs> yeah. On that note, though, I just want to see more giant robot Gundam-style kaiju movies. So Yes, please. Um, I just fucking love kaiju. I've always loved kaiju since I was a kid. If society was ever to get destroyed and blown up and end, I, w- I don't want it to be zombies. I don't want it to be global warming. I want it to be giant fucking weird monsters. <laughs> and you want to fight them with your giant mech or? I, I know. Not even that far. Just if the world's got to end, let's make it fucking weird and interesting. Let's have it be giant goddamn fucking lizards stopping the fucking cities down. You've been reading know. a lot of Lovecraft, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> DT wants Cthulhu to rise from the ocean and create sure. mass panic. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not make the end of society be something stupid we can fix. Let's have it be a terrible and gigantic and awesome fucking outside force that we can't stop. Yeah. That's way more poetic, way more interesting than, oh yeah, humanity's just a bunch of fucking morons. You yeah, know? they ruined their <laughs> planet and now they have to deal with it. On that note though, like, kaiju show up i think humans would do more damage to humans than the kaiju would do to humans probably probably out of selfishness and whatnot yeah okay well these are i think some great picks do you have any other honorable mentions the last jedi i'm kidding sorry (laughs) we'll talk about that at some point Seth is actually in my apartment right now, so I don't want to press that button too hard. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll jam your door shut, and you can't. You'll be stuck in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm gonna be in here forever. I'm just gonna die in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood, stop making shitty movies. Just make good movies from now on. Just make good movies. Just make good movies. All the remakes I think of are they're all sci-fi fantasy stuff. So I don't know. I want more of uh, like the National Treasure kind of adventure movies indiana jones style stuff so i don't want remakes of indiana jones yeah i'd watch a remake of national treasure but me too um you know but i i I think of those but most of them it's like it's like sci-fi stuff like i want to see irobot where it's you know i didn't dislike the take with will smith and just like the character that was brought there Uh, but i think it would be a completely different tone if say you know Denis Villeneuve was directing it where somebody who understood sci-fi was really behind the helm there interpreting Asimov. Can we have Denis Villeneuve make a kaiju movie at some point? I want want him to make every movie. Can we just have him make every movie? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I have an honorable mention. uh, And that is a movie called Mr. Nobody. I don't know if either of you have ever seen it. It stars one of my least favorite actors. Can you guess who it is? Oh, it's Jared Leto. Jared Leto. It stars Jared Leto. 
it's a really interesting idea for a movie and I'll, I'll tell you the premise real fast um basically it takes place like in the future where society has stopped the aging process so people don't die of old age anymore however there is one person who refused to get that treatment or it happened like right he was like right before it was available basically so he wasn't un- unable to get it and he is basically the last old guy he's like i don't know 102 or something and there, he's being interviewed because he's the last person that's going to die of old age and he's like super old the kicker is he his memory is completely failing in this interview he's like telling his life story through flashbacks and stuff but he doesn't remember it well so a lot of the flashbacks are contradictory or have people in them that have died before that or whatever so his memory is like failing and he's trying to tell like a cohesive life story being the last person to do so but the the movie is like a jumble of vignettes and flashbacks it's a wildly interesting idea and it was an okay movie and jared leto did all right i don't really i don't like him i would recast him for sure but if i were to remake it i would want it to be a little bit more comprehensible. They leaned too hard into the disjointed timelines and stuff, and it became very difficult to follow. Even with the conceit that like anything that I'm seeing on screen may just be a figment of this old guy's failing imagination. So even with that, it was like hard to kind of follow the whole thing and hard to make like a, an interesting story. So I would make it a little bit more comprehensible, and I would recast Jared Leto. Let's recast Jared Leto and everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that. I would watch a Morbius movie if it wasn't Jared Leto. Let's, I'm just going to throw that out there, point blank. I forgot that was even happening. Morbius is such like a B-level character. Like my, my recollection of the character is like comic books and like the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s. Yeah. But it's not a, it's not a compelling enough character on its own for a movie because it's just fucking not. We've seen the zombie vampire thing done a bajillion times. Mm-hmm. And I don't fucking like Jared Leto. Do not like Jared Leto. Morbius reminds me of a character probably because it's very similar to like uh Nemo and Hyde and and the invisible man Skinner from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They don't have like Avengers level abilities. So yeah, they feel like sort of B level. Okay, let what what do we have in the barrel for for comics? Okay, let's grab that. That's what it feels like. Yeah, we'll make a movie out of this one. Uh that's kind of what Sony's doing because they don't have the rights to any of the other characters. So it's Morbius and Craven the Hunter and Venom and shit like that. But uh, I tell you, one person I wouldn't recast is our good friend Goldblum. Goldblum. Yeah, of course not. He's great in everything. And he's right on time as always. As always. We've got messages from Earth we need to check in with. Let's do that right now, and we'll be right back. Hey, guys. This is Dan the GM welcoming you to the promo of What the Dice. What the Dice is an actual play RPG based in Pathfinder. Very much a homebrew, but this story will get you hooked. It's all about heroes, encroaching darkness, and forgotten gods, all wrapped up in a strange little bubble. Follow us on Twitter at WhatTheDicePod and on all major streaming platforms. DT's been missing for a while now. I think he's been doing some Deep Space Recon. Is that where, is that where he's been? It's not the special room, so I'm assuming he's been out there in space doing some Deep Space Recon. Do you find anything interesting? Anything interesting out there, DT? I have, actually. I have. And I don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I didn't disappear. <laughs> Always been here. Oh, so you sent your, your uh, ethereal form out of the, of the ship to explore deep space? Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I devised a device which would allow me to drift like in Pacific Rim so I can sort of... Ah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Please right? tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's proprietary. Ah, Can't well, do it. I'll get Goldblum to tell me eventually. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, if you can. He's sworn to secrecy. I made him sign an NDA, which is weird because he has no hands. <laughs> I've got some information, though. i got some things Goldblum doesn't want out in the world. I think I can coerce him. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to blackmail the AI on our ship. Yeah, we're all going to fucking die. <laughs> cool. We've had a good run. We made it to series two. Yeah. Goldblum, look, okay. <laughs> I want to point out that I d- was not participating in this conversation. You and me are friends. <laughs> you know what I know, Goldblum. <laughs> he knows that you know that he knows that you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that right there is more intrigue than the entirety of the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Oh, shit. 
No, it wasn't. You're just being facetious. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm always facetious. I idle it facetious. <laughs> okay, my Deep Space Recon, the thing I've discovered that I love very, very much and I want to share with the entire universe is this little-known underground band from Japan called Zakurin Sensen, which, as I understand it, is translated into English as either Confusion Front or Front of Confusion. All right. I don't know... Which, because I don't know anything about Japanese, I have never tried to learn Japanese because I am an ignorant gaijin. <laughs> it's a five-piece band hailing from Tokyo, Japan, and uh, they're this just fucking kick-ass, lo-fi, garage rock, badass, like, borderline punk rock band, very reminiscent of, like, early Hives. So if you're, like, familiar with Ooh. the Hives or the Vines and stuff like that, they're just super high energy, just fucking tearing it up, like, wall of guitars, super, like off-kilter energy and enigmatic lead singer, high energy, just fucking shredding awesome fucking music. It's just dope as shit. Really, really fun. Uh, I've been watching them consistently on YouTube for quite a while, and uh, their live videos are just as good as their studio stuff. Nice. They're all like 23 years old. They were born in, uh, like, I think they all went to high school or something together. So they're all like 23 years old. They're all born in 1998, which is interesting. They just released their first debut studio album in March of last year. Actually, shit, now I have to say two years ago because it's 2022 now. So March of 2020 was when they released their first studio album. Uh, It climbed a couple of charts in Japan. They haven't broken out in America because they're still relatively underground. But um, on December 21st, they actually announced that they were going to go on a hiatus. So like less than a month ago. Wow. However, they're still releasing their second full-length album this coming February of 2022. And they've got a bunch of singles and a bunch of uh, LPs out there. So there's a ton of music on Spotify. Zakuran Sensen, S-A-K-U-R-A-N, space or hyphen, depending on who you ask. Z-E-N-S-E-N. They're really, really fucking good. And they're just out there tearing it up. And their music videos are super creative and really fun and underground and quirky. And yeah. just, I love everything about their branding. I love everything about their music and their energy. I have no idea what they're saying because all of their lyrics, like 99% of them are in Japanese, but they're so just energetic that you can feel the music, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I have no idea what they're saying. I don't know what their names are. I don't know the name of the, the albums they've put out because it's all in Japanese. And it's very hard to find any information about them here stateside because they're underground in Japan and none of the information or their lyrics are in English available out there on the internet. But it's just one of those bands where it's like they're transcending the language barrier because their music is just so fucking good and fun. It's great. Anybody that listens to DT talk about music knows that the Hives comparison is a is a really high praise. Hives is one of my all-time favorite bands, like probably top five favorite bands ever. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to them. I, I, I haven't yet, but that sounds really fun. I listened after you recommended Cleopatra to the entirety of the album on the way to Colorado and um, really good stuff. So uh, this is a different different vibe from the sounds of it, but uh, I'm still still interested definitely gonna check it out they've got like serious punk rock going on it's it's great shit yeah like just jumping into the crowds at live shows and playing guitar in the pit mm-hmm. and the lead singers just wandering around the stage and jumping up on top of amps and just perching himself up there like he's fucking prince or somebody nice. and just like watching the chaos and then jumping down on the shoulders of the guitar player and like it's just a cool like just hip like don't give a shit vibe to their music and to their like sort of branding the way they pre- present themselves. And I love it. It's I'm all about that. That's that edging on punk thing that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. The record company must've just made them stick, but they really missed out on a, a quarantine front instead of <laughs> confusion front. Uh, <laughs> if March of 2020 was their first album drop. Yeah, dude. Imagine like forming a band and putting out your first LP right as like a worldwide pandemic hits. Like that's, that's a bummer. You rough. can't go and play shows and tour and whatnot. Like yeah. we're still hearing their music and they're dropping a second album that speaks to the the music itself if they're able to continue to do that. So good good for them. Yeah. So I hope everybody who listens to this episode listens to them and then passes them on to friends because I'd love to see them blow up. Because I just want to see them tour stateside. I want to just be in the pit for that absolute fucking chaos and just tear it up. They're fantastic. Can't say enough great things about them. Cool. Yeah, I already like them a lot just in the last week or so that you've posted one in Discord, posted a music video, and then uh, suddenly suddenly they're in several of my playlists. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, algorithm. 
Sometimes it works. We've got a listener question, right? We always have a listener question because we have the greatest listeners on the planet. They are amazing. We have the greatest listeners off this planet. True. We got listeners all over the place. Anywhere out in that inky blackness. Really makes the galaxy feel a little bit smaller, you know? Yeah, in a good way. You guys want to hear it? Yeah, I do. Obvi. This one comes to us from Cool Luke. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not just Luke, guys. It's Cool Luke. Cool Luke. Seth, before we get started, do you want to tell the people how they can reach us and send in their own questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, if If you're like Cool Luke and have internet access in a prison in the 40s. <laughs> I don't think he's cool hand Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Send us an email for like a longer form thing. If you want to tell us how dumb DT's hatred of The Last Jedi is, or if you want to agree with me that Donatello is the best teenage mutant, that's fine. Send an essay wow. to spacecastlepodcast Dude, at gmail.com. Slap me in the it's face. discombobulated. Wow. Wow. I'm just going to stay in this closet now. <laughs> Spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. Send us some long form shit. You can also hit us on Twitter and Instagram at SpaceCastlePod. It's our handle there. Uh, we're going to talk about cool shit. Keep an eye out for upcoming episodes of new shows that are coming out soon. I'm a slam poet now. <laughs> All right. What's cool Luke got to ask us? Cool Luke asks us via the Gmail, spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. If you had your choice, would you prefer to live in the Game of Thrones universe or the Walking Dead universe? Okay. This is an interesting one. This one's coming into 2022. This one is a little scary. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I feel like we are not like we're on a trajectory for the Walking Dead universe without the zombies. Uh, but really, (laughs) (laughs) depends on who you ask. (laughs) Fuck. You know, this one's tough because you've essentially got zombies in both universes. Yeah. And it's really just a choice between like a completely crumpled society or a horribly fucking corrupt society. Which one do you prefer? I think, I think I would probably go walking dead because there's a lot of modern comforts that hold over. In the Game of Thrones universe, uh, I am not one of the 27 people that wouldn't be a peasant. Therefore, it would be awful. Yeah. And short and painful and smelly and I would eat like shit. It'd be terrible. At least in The Walking Dead, like, I can kind of do my own thing and, and, like, try and survive as best I can on my own merits, right? Whereas in Game of Thrones, like, I would just be oppressed and it wouldn't be great. I wouldn't be able to do anything. I, I would be a fucking, a surf. I'd be a surf, and that would just be no good. I'm on the other end, man. I would I would go Game of Thrones. I think it's uh, because there's a slight, tiny dice roll possibility that I have some cool magic shit uh, that doesn't exist in the Walking Dead universe. Um, it's a big gamble, though, man. Yeah, I take those chances, though. Look, they're both they're both equally bad. I I mean, whites they're they're scary, but they're kind of contained at the moment. They eventually will not be, though. That wall is coming down, my dude. No, they eventually will not be. But you know, there's some things out there. There's some dragons. There's some stuff you can you can make something of yourself. You know, look at uh, what's his name, Gentry Baratheon. He he he's a blacksmith. He ends up being important uh, to some degree. He's also somebody who can run like 700 miles in an afternoon. Yeah, it's true. Look, look, but here's the thing, right? Is that I think to to be respectful of Cool Luke's question, you know, in The Walking Dead. Yeah, you could just be some like random dude in a barn that's like holed up with a bunch of ammo, killing zombies whenever they get close to your stuff and planting your crops. Yeah, you could be that boring person, but in reality, I think the question's more like you're one of the people. You're one of the like primary set of characters. Like one of the main characters in both of these universes? I disagree. You have to be important to the plot. I don't think so at all. So Alex wants to be in either one of these worlds as long as he is a main character with plot armor. I need plot armor. Absolutely. That is very important. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. If I had plot armor, I'd probably go Game of Thrones. No way. In game, No, if I had plot armor, I would go Walking Dead, but I'm, I'm going Game of Thrones. No way, dude. Walking Dead is a hard life all the time. If you had plot armor in Game of Thrones, you just fucking live in your castle, one of the random castles that doesn't have beef with anybody, and just fucking chill, be rich, and eat, go fishing or whatever. It'd be great. That's exactly why I picked Game of Thrones, though, because I would have more days where I'm just like, chilling in walking dead you're walking (laughs) 
to avoid the walkers. DT, all right, you're you're our tiebreaker here. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a tough one because, like I said, you've got zombies in both, and in The Walking Dead, you've got your slow zombies, which are as long as they don't like overrun you with massive numbers, are more or less like containable. The White Walkers zombie type things, whatever you want to call them in the the, uh, the Game of Thrones, is something much more different because they can fucking fight with swords and shit. And like they're scary and they're formidable in battle. And that's wild. I think I got to go Walking Dead because one, the zombies are more like containable and easier to deal with. They're more of like a nuisance. But the real threat in The Walking Dead is other people. But those other people are still in the same playing field as you are. You just got to avoid them or figure out some way of like, creating like a like a remote sort of like peaceful like community whereas with game of thrones the other people are like trying to stab each other in the back and take over the kingdom and step over you and i'm going to sound like a little bit of like an anarchist right now but i I would rather take no government versus a horribly fucking corrupt government that's trying to just kill everybody and anything to get whatever they want i'd rather have the one threat of the zombies than the threat of zombies and horrible fucking awful human beings who were in power at the same time. Because I'm going, I'm coming from the point of view that I'm not like a main character. I'm just a person who just exists in this universe. Mm-hmm. Chances are I'm not a lord or a king or a knight or anything like that. And yeah, I, I would much rather not have to deal with an oppressive government and zombies at the same time. That's just too much. I think if you're Game of Thrones and you're not one of the main characters, you you're just chilling on a farm somewhere doing doing your work, and you're generally going to live your normal life uh, outside of the machinations of these uh, political entities. And That's true. Like you said yourself just a moment before, in The Walking Dead, you're much more likely to die based on the people around you. So it's kind of the same problem. What I will give you to play devil devil's advocate against myself is that in The Walking Dead, you have modern medicine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So if you get a scratch, <laughs> you're much more likely to recover from said scratch. Yeah, and you can find a water filter and stuff like that. Like you've got more sort of comforts. Yeah. You may live on your farm in the Game of Thrones and, you know, be raising your pigs or whatever, but regular life in that time fucking sucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like you you might not even make it to 30 because you yeah. just wouldn't live that long. And you might have that dope farm and it might be either like a horde of zombies comes bon- like wandering along or it might be a deranged blonde chick riding a fucking dragon. Like, <laughs> Or the random fucking lord of your village decides that uh, he wants your daughter. So he just comes and takes it and kills your wife and leaves you with no legs. Or you are conscripted to join his battle. <laughs> Not a great time to live. I would probably go Walking Dead all the way through, actually. Unless I was like a plot armor, like I was one of the the gentry. Even so, like, what are you going to do all day? You're going to sit around in your castle and drink wine and do nothing. Like, yeah, there's you can't go outside because it's too fucking dangerous because there's fucking White Walker zombies and people doing battle and, and having feuds and people riding dragons trying to take over and the walking dead, like stay away from zombies and stay away from people. And you can probably be okay. Look, man, I just want magic. Okay. <laughs> as far as I can tell in, in game of Thrones, there's only like nine people that can do magic. So no, there are different types though. You, you, you put me in that universe and you give me nothing to live for. All right, great. You know, I'm my, my short story, my novella in the game of Thrones universe is farm boy Alex tries to find magic. That's what it is. If I die trying, okay. it's Life was going to be shitty anyway. <laughs> if you make this a young adult novel, it's going to be like a New York Times bestseller. Alex Alex tries to find magic, and that's your title right there. I just have to pick one of like 10 words, like blood, gold, ash, dragon, crow. Blood Alex looks for gold dragon magic. Boom. There you go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Why do they call you blood, Alex? Don't ask. <laughs> Why do they call him Red Wine Alex? <laughs> Same reason. <laughs> what did we what did we decide I was not Red Wine Alex anymore? It was gonna be something else. Molotov Donghammer, dude. Well, yeah, it's Molotov Donghammer, but there was a there was an elevation to the red wine. Anyway. Yep, I guess I'm gonna be Blood Magic Red Wine Alex. Molotov, aka Molotov Donghammer. I will say this. If you existed in the Game of Thrones universe, you should absolutely take the name Molotov Donghammer because nobody would fuck with you. Yeah, it'd be a dope name. I would for certain 
wield a war hammer. He'd be Lord Donghammer. It'd be amazing. That's where you get the name, dude. That was back in the days where they would just name you after the shit you did. In reality, weapon of choice in, a, in a, an environment like that, bow. Give me range. I need range yeah, fair until enough. until I have my magic and then y'all is fucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> just like Skyrim where everybody wants to be something, but they inevitably become a sneaky archer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because it's the smartest option. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Until the plague gets you. I, I read something recently that, that you can tell old English longbow archers by their bones because their left arm, the calcium was built up so much incredible to me sorry that was a complete sidebar but i it, that kind of stuff just is wild and, and interesting to me archaeologists will also be able to identify me by the same criteria <laughs> 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 and that's gonna do it for this episode of space castle as always it's your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy alex can't breathe so it's another successful episode <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay while, while alex catches the breath we've got a couple things going on we've got a patreon now so you can check that out if you want to we've got behind the scenes stuff and pre-game shows before each recording discord perks so it's got a whole bunch of stuff you also get early access to our upcoming two shows which is what i really want to talk about we've got real drunk yeah which is a blast we just recorded the first episode the night before this which is why we we're all semi low energy because we got drunk <laughs> it's a show where we make a drinking game about a movie, we participate in said drinking game, and then we try to review the movie afterwards as best that we can. <laughs> Seth was able to say the words Hayden Christensen, so... I said Hayden Christensen syndrome three times. I didn't mess it up once, so, you know, I guess I can handle my liquor well. At any rate, that show's coming up, so keep an eye out for that. We've also got Rec Deck, which is a D&D live play, like an actual live play show, coming up as well. It's a homebrew campaign that I'm working on feverishly. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Patreons also get access to exclusive merchandise. Stickers were really excited about. T-Search said, I want to sign up for our own Patreon just so I can have one. And uh, the first 10 patrons who sign up get limited edition stickers that we will mail to you personally with signed personalized thank you cards. And uh, yeah, we also want to thank Brian Lovett, our friend and lover. And uh, He actually wants us to start calling him B-Fuck Supreme. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'd also like to thank our good friend B-Fuck Supreme in his help in co-writing <laughs> our theme song, D's Notes. God. <laughs> Join the launch crew over at Patreon. Uh, we, we want you to be part of that launch crew. Become a Galactonaut. We're really excited for the materials that we're putting out. It's all kinds of fun for us, and it's all the better with, with more people involved. Absolutely. 2021 was an amazing year. We kicked this thing off. You guys have been so amazing and receptive of it. We've made a ton of friends. 2022 is going to be massive and explosive, and we want as many people on board because, like Alex said, the more people who are on the Space Castle, the more fun it is. Mm-hmm. Plus, it keeps Goldblum occupied, so we can talk about Star Wars for longer. Exactly. Or which Ninja Turtle is best, and why it's Raphael. Hmm. You know it's Leonardo Goldblum. You know that I know what you know that I know. It's okay, Goldblum. <laughs> you and me, buddy. We're Donatello. We got it. It's Raphael. It's cool. My name's DT. My name's Ashblood Gold Redwine Alex, a.k.a. Molotov Donghammer. And I'm still Seth, apparently. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next week, as always. Bye. Love you. I'm waving, and I don't know why. They can't see me. It's still nice. <laughs> <laughs>